Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? Do you experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? Have you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters! Ghostbusters. and makes us feel good. You've finished your swim lessons and graduated to the deep end. In this case, we watched Ghostbusters 1 and 2. I'm Kevin Bradway doing my ghost busting along with our co-host equipped with his proton pack, Jim Sabella. Busting makes me feel good. So Jim, this episode's being released a little bit later than we typically like to release our episodes, which is usually like on a Thursday or at worst Friday, but uh, one of us had a COVID scare. That's right, we did. So I want to say, be careful out there, kids. Wear a mask, social distance, and so on. Uh, Yeah, don't be an ignorant asshole. Remember, we're wearing masks for your benefit, not just us. Yeah, so it wasn't wasn't because this is a double episode or season finale. We weren't making you hang on and wait any longer. It's just because uh, we had some stuff going on in the scary world. COVID is a real thing, folks. So, you know, it affected the podcast. So here we are, back for the deep end. Yes. Ghostbusters was released in 19... 1984 with the sequel following in 1989 since we already covered the wizard from 1989 our pool check will be for 1984 this week however we do have a special second pool check this week but before any of that jim how about you tell us how we were living in 1984 a year after i was born all right in 1984 Especially June 8th, right around June 8th, 1984, the release of the very first Ghostbusters movie, Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen, was released. The American icon anthem. What people think is an amazing patriotic song. It really is not. It's really not if you listen to the words. Analyze, folks. Analyze. Now, for you gamers out there like we are, Tetris is first release by Alexei Pajanov in the Soviet Union. Yeah, and if you find a black cart version of Tetris on the Tengen, the Tengen yeah, release. Tengen Tetris, yes. It's highly collectible. The great Nintendo Tetris cartridge that all of your parents have and your brothers have, and it's one of the common. Yeah, highest selling. Don't worry about that one. The black one. If you have that one, you've got some money. And another big thing for all you game show fans out there like Kevin and I, Michael Larson. Now, this guy is from our state of Ohio. His Press Your Luck game occurred. Now, a little background story about Michael Larson. He figured out the actual patterns of the board, so he didn't get any whammies. He ended up making, I think it was an upwards of near, well over $100,000 to the point. They were so pissed, but there was nothing you could do. He studied the board. He knew 23 different combinations and hit money every we time. We just talked about this because you also had the guy who memorized all of the prices on Prices Right, managed to get his name called, won the showcase. The only factor he had to worry about was spinning the wheel, but he managed to make it to the showcase. He got perfect to the dollar amount. And that was thanks to a guy that was sitting in the stands that went to like 27 different tapings. The documentary is on Netflix. I think it's actually called The Price is Right, literally. Yeah. yeah. Because he would study all the merchandise and have the right score every time people were asking for his advice. I don't know what year that one happened, but we're talking about the Press Your Luck one. 
Yeah, the Pressure Luck one was in 84, but the Price is Right one went out throughout the 80s and into the 90s. The number one song in America at this time was A Beautiful Ballad by one Cindy Lauper, or a movie we will be covering in a future date, Just One of the Guys, refers to her as Cindy Lauper. Lauper. Time after time. Lauper. Such a great song. And the number one movie... The week before Ghostbusters, because this went on a run in 84. It was nine different weeks. It was at number one. It would be off three weeks. Go back to number one. The number one movie was Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. And we will be covering Star Trek 4, The Whale One, yeah, and I coming up here soon. One. Yeah. So that's what was going on in the 1980 and the four with Ghostbusters on a $30 million budget. And it made nearly $300 million at the box office. Wow. So speaking of $300 million, Ghostbusters originally was the baby of Dan Aykroyd. So Dan Aykroyd wanted to make a supernatural time-traveling ghost-fighting project. Dan Aykroyd's dad was like a supernatural ghost author, and his mom had something to do with it, his grandpa. Which explains a lot what he's into now. Yeah, so Dan Aykroyd had a genuine interest in the paranormal, the supernatural. So he had an idea. He wanted to make a supernatural time-traveling ghost-fighting project with himself, Eddie Murphy, and John Belushi. Now, Harold Ramis stepped in to team up with Aykroyd after the death of John Belushi, leaving us Jim Belushi as a consolation prize. Eh, what, what can you poor Jim Belushi really got the shit out Ugh. of the stick? Canine. So, uh, again, Aykroyd has a legit fascination of history with the ghosts and supernatural, except the idea that he had for this movie, they told him would run approximately an estimated $300 million to make that movie. Now, there's barely any movies present day in 2020 that cost, you know, nearly 40 years later, there's hardly any movies that cost $300 million. Nowadays, it would be the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Yeah, so Dan Aykroyd, they told him no. They liked the basis of the idea. Again, they went and got Harold Ramis, and Ramis took a more realistic approach to the project. When finally made, it ended up being the most successful comedy of the 1980s. Now, when in production, there was a hang-up where the name Ghostbusters was legally restricted to a 1970s children's show called The Ghostbusters. That had a very, very limited run. And it was owned by Universal Studios. Some options for the name of this movie, The Ghost Stoppers, oh. The Ghost Breakers. Which is my favorite. And my least favorite, The Ghost Smashers. Oh. I'm the smasher. <laughs> Breaking makes me feel good. <laughs> Stopping makes me feel good, <laughs> or smashing makes me feel good. Jesus. Uh, so fortunately, there was a shakeup where somebody who had the copyright, they left Columbia or something and went to Universal. Some Something happened, allowing them to retain and keep and allow them to use the name Ghostbusters, and we're all better for it. Well, they started filming the movie with even the title cards and all the graphics as Ghostbreakers. Now, they filmed the outside of the Ghostbusters headquarters, the old firehouse. It did say Ghostbreakers. Ghost so they had to refilm all of the stuff back to Ghostbusters. Extreme Ghostbreakers, the <laughs> real Ghostbreakers, and so on. So uh, you're going to have to bear with us this week if you're used to our typical format. For the deep end, we're going to do some different segments, different order of things. 
So just follow along. Shouldn't be too hard. Kick back and relax, folks. Yes. First, we will start with the plot for 1984's Ghostbusters. I don't want to call it Ghostbusters 1 because that's not technically the title, but that's I will refer to it as Ghostbusters 1 on occasion throughout this podcast. A group of scientists at Columbia University who are studying the paranormal are fired by the dean and the credibility of their research is questioned. Like any group of friends out on their asses, they talk about how cool it would be to start their own business. They convert a firehouse into their headquarters, turn a car into the ectomobile, and develop a bunch of cool gadgets to capture ghosts. When business picks up, they bring on a secretary along with a fourth Ghostbuster named Winston Zettermore. Also, the Environmental Protection Agency is on their backs. When the EPA brings in the cops to shut down the Ghostbusters, the shutdown causes an explosion as the overworked equipment releases a big old ghost party into New York City. They must then kill the big bad gozer in the form of a giant marshmallow man. Anything else you want to add to that plot? I mean, does that... (laughs) It's perfect. Okay. It's perfect. All right, so let's get into our characters. We have Bill Murray is top billed as Peter Venkman. Doctor. Dr. Peter Venkman. Dan Aykroyd as Ray Stance. Sigourney Weaver as Dana Barrett. Harold Ramis as Egon Spengler. Rick Moranis as Lewis Tully. His character, we will get into it, changes quite a bit from the first one to the second one, along with Annie Potts. Big time. As Janine Melnitz. Ernie Hudson as Winston Zettermore. So the critics seemed to believe that Bill Murray really gave a standout, unbelievable performance. And it's likely because Harold Ramis had written the movie in a way to allow Bill Murray to be himself. So would you agree that Bill Murray is the... The anchor, the star of this movie, or was there another performance that you liked? We talked about this. The great thing about Harold Ramis directing Bill Murray, we've seen it with Stripes. We've seen it with this. He just had that uncanny ability to let Bill Murray be Bill Murray. All the movies that Bill Murray has been in, he's always just Bill Murray. Yeah. He's, he doesn't seem to go out of his way to be anybody different. Bill Murray, I think, is a standout. I think Harold Ramis should get a lot of credit for being that nerdy guy. I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Yeah. Like, he's a perfect Egon Harold Spengler. Harold Ramis is awesome, and Harold Ramis gets a lot of credit for these movies, despite being Dan Aykroyd's baby, because originally Harold Ramis wasn't involved in the project. It's when they had to get Dan Aykroyd essentially to come back down to earth on his idea for the movie that they brought on Harold Ramis. And Harold Ramis is owed a, a great debt for what he did. And his acting's really good in this too. Excellent. He, he gives a lot of like nice facial expressions and has a lot of really funny lines. So he also has that cheesy element of doing humor in awkward times yeah. to try to fit in. Everybody has that friend that tries to fit in and that's Egon to me. Yeah. So I I will say they ended up, I I can't imagine this movie any other way. I mean, having seen it probably a hundred times, can't imagine any other way. But to think about John Belushi and Eddie Murphy, I mean, that is kind of weird. Think about the movie. We're we're assuming, and I guess maybe it's wrong to assume, Eddie Murphy is going to be Winston Zedmore, right? I would would think so. Now, you would think he would get a higher billing than Ernie Hudson in this movie and in the second movie. He is really pushed down on the list when it comes to rolling end credits. It's kind of embarrassing. Yes. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the characters for the first one. 
why don't we go ahead and move on to our best scenes or favorite scenes from Ghostbusters 1. Jim, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Okay, my first one, we'll kick it right off at the beginning of the movie. It's the librarian scene when the librarian gets attacked and it looks like the basement of the library before they're officially Ghostbusters. Yes, I was going to say, to set the stage, this is the first time that we get a confirmed... They're just working as uh, students or adjunct students at Columbia. Yes. So they have this big ghost issue that's happening. They get called to check out the the librarian who gets attacked. The one scene that has always made me chuckle ever since I was even a little kid. They're trying to go and ask the librarian questions. She's in her, I would say, 60s. I think that's maybe for 1980s sake. She could be 40 at this rate because you look at older movies, we seem a lot younger, yet our ages are older than what Wil- they were. Wilford Brimley. Big rest time. In rest peace. in peace, my friend. Diabetes. A1Cs. He was in Cocoon. He was like... He was 45 in he Cocoon. He was 45. He looked... The same. 70. Yeah. And he looked... It's crazy. He never... He got to that age where it's like, I'm 30. I'm going to look like 80 the rest of my life. So they're talking to the librarian, and out of nowhere, <laughs> I believe it was uh, Pete asking her about... Are you, Alice, menstruating right now? What has that got to do with it? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. When was your last menstrual cycle? And then the guy who works at the library is like, what's that got to do with it? And then Pete <laughs> says one of the iconic lines in Ghostbusters history. Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Yep. That's right off the bat. You're laughing because you know where this is going to go. Even though it's a lighthearted movie, comparing the first to the second, this is a darker movie. Yes. But that kicks off the movie just right. You know where you're going with these guys. Okay, so you started off with something in the very beginning of the movie. I'm going to go ahead and jump to the very end. Before they were the Ghost Breakers. Yes, to talk about when they're fighting, when they're having the final boss battle with Gozer, they essentially get tasked with whatever they think of is what they have to fight. The choice is made. Whoa, oh, oh, whoa. The traveler has Nobody choose anything! Did you choose anything? No! Did you? My line is totally blank. I didn't choose anything! I couldn't help it. It just popped in there. What? What just popped in there? I... I... I tried to think. Look! No! It can't be! What is it? It can't be! What did you do, Ray? Oh, shit! It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. They says whatever whatever you think of. So they're they're trying to put their heads together and think of the most unthreatening thing that they can fight. Except before they can do that, Ray has thought of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man because he thought it was the one thing that was soft and cuddly and warm to him as a kid. It just popped in there. Yeah. So what I always thought as a kid, probably for much longer than I even realized, I thought was the state. Puff Marshmallow Man. I was the same way. Not the same way. Puffed Marshmallow Man, but the state puff marshmallow man so they have to fight a hundred foot tall marshmallow man and they melt him with their proton packs and he's making like the cutest faces as he's getting burned to death he's like a big roasted marshmallow so i i like that that's uh definitely iconic i had a you know a stay puffed you know foot tall two foot tall stay puffed marshmallow man toy i think we probably all did 
you know, who had parents lucky enough to be able to provide toys. To and them. we noticed it today when we were walking around the Walmarts that they have re-released the real Ghostbusters toy and those new Ghostbuster figs. High recommend people because those are awesome. Granted, 20 bucks a pop, though. So you want all five, it's going to cost you 100 Well, spot. if you buy all five, you do get a... Each piece you put together, you become Vince Clortho, a.k.a. Yeah. Zool. You, Zool. You become the yeah, dog. which they call a dog on several occasions. 700 times. You'd get drunk every time they so say the word dog. So you spend 100 bucks, you get six figures instead of five. Hooray. Okay, so my next one is on the way. It was just a regular night drive. It's Rain Winston in the Ecto-1. Hey, Ray. Do you remember something in the Bible about last days when the dead would rise from the grave. I remember Revelation 7:12. And I looked as he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth, and the moon became as blood. And the seas boiled, and the skies fell. Judgment day. Judgment day. Every ancient religion has its own myth about the end of the world. Myth? Ray, has it ever occurred to you that maybe the reason we've been so busy lately is because the dead have been rising from the grave? And they start talking about the Book of Revelations. Now, I've openly admitted throughout my social media, I'm not a religious person. I've just, I've never been. This was my first introduction to Bible verse was right here watching Ghostbusters. He starts reciting Revelation, you know, the the moon becomes black as sack, or uh, the sun becomes like sackcloth and the moon becomes a blood. And they talk about Judgment Day. That scene alone, because they're just taking a drive in New York City. It's night. They're quoting Bible verse. And then just that background little jingle they use on top of it puts you right in the mood. Plus, I also like the fact that it features Winston. Because, like, I'll say, I'll defend Ernie Hudson until my heart's content. He never got enough screen time, in no, my opinion. I no. think he was very underutilized. But, yeah, I love that scene between Ray and Winston. It was a very together scene. So I don't know where else to bring this up. What is your recollection or memory of watching the Ghostbusters movies? Because you would have been, what, three when this, this came, came out? out? I would have been two. Well, I was born in 81, so I would be... Three months till I was three, so I would have been two and a half. So do you remember watching this later on or not until you're like 10? I probably watched this, I'd have to say, before Ghostbusters 2 came out. So I'm going to say like 88. That's I, I kind of get the feeling like I was born in 83. So I, I can remember watching Ghostbusters 2 a lot. So I'm guessing I probably I might have watched Ghostbusters 2 first. And then kind of watched Ghostbusters 1 or watched Ghostbusters 1 to get ready for 2. But I can remember having the toys as a pretty small child. I had the real Ghostbusters toys and I had, I also had that bullshit Ghostbusters stuff because this franchise had to call them the real Ghostbusters. Yes. Those were those crap. I can't remember the name of the company. They were those ripoff Ghostbusters toys. I had some of those. I remember my mom might have bought them for me at Kmart or Hills. And I'm like, what? what is this shit? I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I said that at 7. Like, what is this shit? This isn't Venkman. I will say my next favorite scene is when they buy or lease the fire station. There's office space, sleeping quarters, and showers on the next floor, and there's a full kitchen on the top level. It just seems a little pricey for a unique fixer-upper opportunity, that's all. What do you think, Egon? I think this building should be condemned. There's serious metal fatigue in all the load-bearing members. The wiring is substandard. It's completely inadequate for our power needs, and the neighborhood is like a demilitarized zone. Hey, does this pole still work? 
This place is great. When can we move in? You've got to try this pole. I'm going to get my stuff. Hey, we should stay here tonight. Sleep here, you know, to try it out. So the Ghostbusters need a place to operate this business that they want to open. And it's funny because they're Venkman and Egon are, are trying to, to use their brains and realistically discover the best way they're trying to ask the right questions. And basically Ray slides down the fire pole and says, we'll take it because he loves sliding down the fire pole. So I, I like that scene. It's good. They buy a, a decrepit fire station, which they convert into their headquarters. I just looked real quick. It's Filmation's Ghostbusters brand. Yeah. Okay, so my final scene is this scene right here, folks. You're going to listen to it. It's a quite extensive scene. Kick back and enjoy. When the Ghostbusters meet the mayor, their heads up move to Walter Peck. This man has no dick. Ghostbusters are here, Mr. Mayor. Ghostbusters. Okay, the Ghostbusters. Hey, where's this Peck? Hey, I am Walter Peck, sir, and I'm prepared to make a full report. These men are consummate snowball artists. They use sense and nerve gases to induce hallucinations. People think they're seeing ghosts, and they call these bozos who conveniently show up to deal with the problem with a fake electronic light show. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Well, that's what I heard. This city hall. I'm uh, Winston Zettimore, Yana. I've only been with the company for a couple of weeks. But I gotta tell you, these things are real. Since I joined these men, I have seen shit that'll turn you white. Well, you could believe Mr. Pecker. My name is Peck. Or you could accept the fact that this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. What if you're wrong? If I'm wrong, nothing happens. We go to jail peacefully, quietly. We'll enjoy it. But if I'm right, and we can stop this thing, Lenny, you will have saved the lives of millions of registered voters. How can you not love that whole that whole delivery by Mil Bill Murray being Bill Murray, that prickish greatness about him going against fucking Walter Peck, a.k.a. Professor Hathaway from Real Genius, a.k.a. Richard Thornburg from Die Hard. He was the older, perfect 80s prick. And like William Zabka was the great younger 80s prick. Just them going back and forth telling him, you know, he has no dick. But the line that fucking sells it for me is when Bill Murray locks eye to eyes with the mayor and he's like, Lenny, you will have saved millions of registered voters. And that's the thing. You would use that so much today votes over anything oh, yeah, yeah a politician would drop everything they're doing drop any type of money and do what they need to do for so, votes so the funny thing too is is the character of peck well the actor played by peck, william atherton yeah he you know they essentially replace him with another great movie villain in kurt fuller in the second one 
Oh, not, yeah. not the same character, but essentially the same role Still as an, like, uh, an assistant or something, uh, some sort of advisor to the mayor. I have two more scenes for Ghostbusters 1. One is a very scary one from when we were kids, and it's when Dana gets possessed by Zool. So she shows up at her apartment, the lights are out, and she essentially has one of these giant dogs in her apartment, and she sits down in a chair, she has some like demon arms wrap around her, and it launches the chair into the bathroom and slams the door. It was pretty traumatic and scary for a five or six year old. And then when Venkman shows up for their date that they were supposed to have... Are you the key master? Yes. I'm a friend of his. You told me to meet him here. I didn't get your name. I'm Zul. I'm the gatekeeper. What are we doing today, Zul? We must prepare for the coming of Gozer. Gozer, huh? The destructor. Are we still going out? You know, you could pick up the place if you're expecting something. Do you want this body? Is this a trick question? I guess the roses worked, huh? Take me now, sub-creature. We never talk anymore. I make it a rule never to get involved with possessed people. Actually, it's more of a guideline than a rule. You know, I can... I want you inside me. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I can't. Sounds like you got at least two people in there already. Might be a little crowded. Come on, I, I, why don't you just quit trying to upset and disturb Dr. Bankman and just relax. Lie down there. Relax, put your hands on your chest. What I'd really like to do is talk to Dana. I want to talk to Dana. Dana, it's Peter. There is no Dana. There is only Zoo. Dana is now possessed, and we get the wonderful, there is no Dana, only Zool. They always have issues when they try to have some sort of date. Yes. This movie and the second they one. They do, which there's a lot of similarities in the second one to this one, which we will talk about. And then finally, we meet Slimer at the hotel. Batman, what happened? Are you okay? He slimed me. That's great. Actual physical contact. Can you move? Ray, Ray, come in, please. I feel so funky. Spangler, I'm with Bankman. Oh. You <laughs> got slimed. That's great, Ray. Save some for me. So it's we, the weirdest. I don't know what they they were trying to do throughout the two movies with Slimer. They go to the hotel. They end up seeing Slimer, who slimes Venkman. And they're like, that's great. You know, they can collect a sample. My question, we're not going to do a logic section on this podcast, which are, you're used to. But one of the logic points that I have that kind of bothers me about the Ghostbusters movie is... If there's an invisible ghost, if there's a ghost of a former living person, like uh, Jim had mentioned, the Judgment Day thing where all the dead is rising, all of that makes sense. But sometimes we see these like monsters that have uh, multiple like arms and, and they have fangs and they're essentially like these weird demon creatures. Like where are those things coming from? They're not inhabitants of Earth. So they're like otherworldly demons. They just never explain the origin of the ghosts. We see the ghosts. We don't know where they're coming from. So that's a little weird. They do that in both movies. The ghosts aren't just like 
sheet ghosts or like human remains or zombies. They're actually weird monsters. And that's what Slimer is. Slimer, I hope you're, if you're listening to this podcast, I hope you're familiar with Slimer. He's a perfect child's toy. Yes. But Slimer was a bright green kind of like toothpaste dollop of a green mashed potato thing. He slimed me. Okay. So with that said, we are going to get into Ghostbusters 2 before we discuss the similarities and differences. But before that, why don't we go ahead and take our first pool check? Pool check! 1984 is the ultimate year in pop. Now, we already had covered music videos for 1989, so we have something special for you in the next pool check. So we're talking about music videos from 1984. And like I said, the ultimate year in pop. And let me emphasize, these are our favorite videos, not necessarily the best, because this year features some of the greatest videos of all time. But I also will say that there is some, like, weird confusion because some of these videos the song was released in 82 but the video wasn't released until 84 a lot of discrepancy or a video was released in 84 but then the song wasn't put on an album until 86 so we're gonna do our best we're gonna give you an honest effort into what we believe was released in 1984 and if it wasn't fuck off i mean i don't know what to tell you <laughs> kiss, just kiss my ass yeah basically so we're gonna talk about videos we think were from 1984 jim yeah, why whatever don't, why don't you go ahead and go first my number five is a great band they had three video releases in 1984 they had drive you might think i picked this one the cars led by rick okasic who is not the most attractive looking dude let's be honest but got him not alive either and he also had a supermodel wife so you know kudos to rick okasic i'm taking magic by the cars it's nice. a great song the music video very basic music video it's like the i'm pretty sure this is probably his backyard they're in his backyard there's this big pool area there's this big i wouldn't say some sort of arboretum it almost looks like a mausoleum but they're out there he's walking on water because it's magic and they're just having one big summer party and with summer starting to wind down this is a great song. Kick back and have a drink. Listen to the Cars Magic number five. And the Cars do our typical theme song for our show. Yes, they do. So, in stereo. Yes. My number five, Murray Head, One Night in Bangkok. Excellent. It's actually from a musical called Chess. So if you ever listen closely, I mean, I just hear One Night in Bangkok, The World's Your Oyster over and over again. I don't know the words because he kind of raps the verses. Well, if you pay attention to the lyrics and the verses, the whole thing is about fucking chess. Like, it's all about the game of chess. It's super weird. So the whole video is about chess. The Because it was based on a musical about chess, it's fucking mental. And there's a great holy shit moment at the end of Hangover 2 when Alan gets... Uh, I can't remember. No, I can't remember his name. But Alan gets Stu as a wedding gift. Mike Tyson comes out and Mike Tyson sings performs One Night in Bangkok. One Night in Bangkok. And it's awesome. And Mike Tyson's back. He's going to be fighting Roy Jones Jr. in so a couple weird. months. He's 109. 54. Yeah. But same. looks damn good. He got off the weed. Looks better than I do. Looks great. And the guy has a weed farm. Number four might be the craziest music video I've perhaps have ever seen. If you question your ability to dance, Watch this video and you would look like a fucking Footloose dancer. I didn't pick the song Footloose. I picked Billy Squire, 
Rock me tonight. Yeah. If you want to see a guy, this is the guy who wrote and performed The Stroke, yeah. which is a great song. He goes into a loft apartment. He has like cut off type shirts, you know, with a ripped down collar, and he's just flailing his arms. Yeah, it's fancy free. Just rock me tonight. And he's just flipping all over the place. I keep wondering. I have a feeling the crew on this music video had absolutely <laughs> no idea what the hell Billy was going to do. I'm going to go do. outside and smoke. I can't watch anymore. Because I could picture like, hey, Gary, do you know what Billy's going to do? He won't tell us anything. He said he's got something amazing planned. We, we tried to bring in a choreographer and he was like, no, I, I, I figured it out in my dream last he night. He said to me, and I quote, Squire has this. He opens up the elevator and probably just flailing and kicking and doing this was if you guys have ever seen it's one of the best mtv shows it used to be it was called the 25 lamest music videos of all time like dennis leary was on it janine garofalo and this was one of their 25 lamest videos and it's hilarious this video will make you feel like a dancer at juilliard after yeah. watching a guy yeah. who had no business dancing dancing to this that's mr billy squire that was rock me tonight yeah it's uh it's pretty ridiculous i mean but i you know, girls really liked Billy Squire, so maybe that, maybe they were fine with it. I don't know. My number four, Sade, Smooth Operator. Oh, it's love now, making music. I will say, I hated this song as a kid, but now it's like an all time fucking jam. And we have a connection to this song because at one point, this was Ravishing Rick Rude's theme yeah, song, which yeah. was excellent. So Sade is kind of looking like Tong Po from Kickboxer. <laughs> In this in this video, her, her, her and her band they're performing in like an eighties. <laughs> all right, they're performing in eighties smoke filled bar. You know the type. It's just it's where she taped up her hands with glass. It's just dope. But she yeah she's not she doesn't have glass taped up hands while she's holding the microphone. But it's just an eighties smoke filled bar. She's got that super tight ponytail looking like Tong Po. <laughs> I never, you blindsided me with that. Holy shit. Tiger Tong Po. All right, so my number three is the other song from this group. Nak Sung Kao. Nak Sung Kao. He ripped the belt and everything. Now, this song, they had a more popular song, but I preferred this one. This is Wang Chung Dance Hall yeah. Days. Yeah. This video, I'm not going to even describe much. It's your typical cheap, low budget 80s video. It's them dancing in front of a green screen. There's random images in the background. Every early 80s music video when MTV seemed to be on a 20 rotation video thing. Everybody loved, you know, everybody have fun tonight. Everybody Wang Chung tonight. Never really liked that song compared to this. No. And I love this song growing up, but this song was brought forth when this came out on the Vice City soundtrack for Grand Theft Auto. That stuck with me even more. So Wang Chung, Dance Hall Daddies. Yeah, for a long time, I didn't realize that song was actually attributed to Wang Chung. I thought their only hit was the song called Wang Chung. Wang Chung by Wang Chung. Now, I always wondered about the one lyric in the song, and I didn't look and I didn't clarify it, so I'm just going to put it out there. He says... It was all advice in the dance hall days. We were cool on price. I, you, and everyone we knew. I never under cool on price. Price about what? I don't know. Dancing? We'll have to look that up after. I haven't looked that up. I'm, have that up, but I'm, I'm always curious. like, what the fuck? All yeah. right. So that was uh, the Chunganators. We were cool on spikes. 
Uh, <laughs> um, Antong Po. My number three, Hollow Notes Out of Touch. Oh. Fucking rad video. Shout out to our pal Fu. Foo Who used to sing this at karaoke. Oh. So essentially, Hollow Notes, the whole beginning of the video is like a remixed version that wasn't on the album. There's yep. all this extra remix stuff. So if you bought the album based on the video, it wouldn't sound like that. But anyhow, there's like a giant drum set. Hollow Notes get ran over with a drum. They become like flat cardboard cutouts. And it's just them goofing around. Uh, Hall is wearing leopard from head to toe. It's uh, it's pretty rad. I, I do. I enjoy myself some Hollow Notes. And this is one of their better songs, in my opinion. And the video is good enough that it made number three on my list. So number two on my list is my favorite act of all time. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Phil Collins, against all odds, take a look at me now. Oh, I thought you were going to pick something else from this year. No, no, no. This song is the title track off the Jeff Bridges movie. I always, for some reason when I was younger, I always confused Jeff Daniels and Jeff Bridges. Yeah, I did too. Never understood why I did, but this is Jeff Bridges. He's basically a former ex-football player, and he ends up falling in love with some girl, and the music video is just clips of this movie, like Phil Collins is in it very sparingly because it's promoting a movie. This is a great song. I believe this is also off No Jacket Required. I believe it's either that or Face Value. I can't remember which one off the top of my head. Great slow song. It's a typical 80s longing, lusting, sentimental song. How can I not put the big PC on my list? Yeah, if you watch American Idol, somebody sings this one every year there's oh like this song has staying power it's a great great song. vocal range yeah. in this song yep. my number two is the return of that dolphin looking motherfucker <laughs> new edition cool it now and in this video he he he's wearing a sweatsuit but it's like teal it's like a teal head-to-toe sweatsuit it looks like a dolphin in medical scrubs did they basically film this in rucker park i think they did yeah. yeah so also my theory is that the song was recorded long before the video because ralph tresvant sounds like an infant he always had that high voice but he sounds like a actual child but in the video he's like a grown man with a mustache it he looks, also had that hair that yeah hair he had that little extra flap of hair that i don't even understand how it grew it's like a vestigial tail or something but it's like it's uh it's like a flap it's weird so i i I love this song probably longer than it needs to be it's got a couple rap parts it's before bobby brown went on to record the theme of ghostbusters 2 break off his own get his own vhs movie what's his name bobby bareback brown and And bareback <laughs> it's like it's a bear. Back. It's Bobby Baritone Brown. I don't Something know. Something like that. There's a bear in bear it. Bearskin. Bobby yeah. Bearskin Brown. So that's my number two. My number one song is my second favorite band of all time. And it actually goes with this movie. Huey Lewis in the news. I want a new drug. I want a new drug. So here's a little background with this song as it pertains to Ghostbusters. There was a big, big lawsuit between Ray Parker Jr., the artist that did Ghostbusters, the main song, and Huey Lewis in the News. And I will read off what the lawsuit entailed. When the theme song of Ghostbusters was released, Huey Lewis sued Columbia Pictures and Ray Parker Jr. for copyright infringement, stating that Parker's song was too similar to Lewis's I Want a New Drug. Before Parker was hired to do it, Lewis had been approached to compose the main theme song for the film, which would have been really cool. The three parties settled out of court. Details of the settlement 
specifically what Huey was paid, remained confidential until Huey Lewis spilled the beans and then he got super sued and Ray Parker Jr. ended up with more money. The filmmakers themselves, Harold Ramis, admitted to using the song I Want a New Drug as temporary background music in many scenes. They also noted that they had an offer to hire Huey Lewis in the news to write the main thing, but the band had declined. The filmmakers gave Ray Parker Jr. footage with the Huey Lewis song in the background and aided Parker in writing the theme song. So when you guys hear Ghostbusters, which you will hear later on in this episode, we're going to play this and the Bobby Brown song. When you hear the song, listen to I Want a New Drug right after it or I Want a New Drug before it than this. It's a complete sample. Yeah, thing. it absolutely is the same vibe and take. So two things. One, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. So Nightmare on Elm Street had asked Will Smith to come up with a song they essentially ended up going with Fat Boys instead. The thing about that one is that Fat Boys and Will Smith at that time were probably equal in terms of popularity and fame. Huey Lewis was a, a star. This was after... This is after sports came after out. sports. So yep. he's got a bunch of hits. Had Ray Parker Jr., where did he come? Had he done anything? He came out of left field. So I don't understand how... It's not like they asked like Stevie Wonder or Huey Lewis. This was Ray Parker. The other thing I want to say about Ray Parker at a convention one time I met Ray Park who plays Darth Maul and just to be an asshole I knew it was I kept calling him Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> because I just thought it was hilarious and it's not that funny but it is okay looking up yeah Ray Parker basically was a session guitarist he did a lot of work for the Carpenters Rufus Chaka Khan the Supremes Aretha Franklin Stevie Wonder so I wonder if it was a money thing I wonder if it was like in order to get Huey Lewis to do it we'll pay you know, we have to pay him $2 million or something, or we can get Ray Parker to do it, rip off Huey Lewis and do it for 40 bucks and a pack of cigarettes or something. Yeah, and the song got nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song to Ghostbusters. It's iconic. It is legendary. It is it's one of your go-to Halloween songs. He is songs. absolutely still raking in the bucks if he's still alive. He's still raking in the bucks from this one. And yeah. I'm sure that when the new Ghostbusters comes out, they're going to... Put it through the ringer again. Uh, my number one video, The Cars Drive. Great song. Like the band, which was both timeless and ahead of their time, this video was ahead of its time. It's very s cinematic. It's a high concept video, and it's great enough to be my number one in a stacked year. Again, you get to see Rick Ocasek, not the most attractive man, but they kind of did Dude could sing. a Ramon-style thing where they put him in sunglasses and a leather jacket to kind of hide Yes. That's it for our first pool check. Jim, why don't you go ahead and let them know? Everybody back in the pool! Now we're going to talk a little bit about Ghostbusters 2 before we put them against each other. The plot of Ghostbusters 2 is as follows. Five years after the events of the first film, the Ghostbusters have been sued into oblivion for property damage. Essentially, we talked about this. Go figure. Everything... Like, when they go in to capture Slimer, they destroy the whole hotel. They tear it up. They charge $5,000 for that capture. Yeah, they destroy a building, essentially, in the process of trying to defeat Gozer. So. But save millions of people. Yeah, so that's actually, like we said, a realistic thing that could happen is that somebody's got to take the fall for all of this damage and stuff. The most logical thing throughout both movies is that point right there. Yeah, so they are now out of business with all of them having to take new 
new jobs. Peter is a he has a TV show about uh, being psychic and they've all got new jobs. Dana, Peter Venkman's now ex-girlfriend, works at an art museum restoring paintings and she reaches out to former Ghostbusters because her ba- her now baby, which that's something we'll talk about, her baby stroller gets possessed and zooms in and out of traffic and weaves in and out and every which way. So she goes to the Ghostbusters and during their investigation, the Ghostbusters find a river of slime running through abandoned transit tunnels. The slime causes, I will say the slime causes a citywide blackout, but it's sort of Ray that causes it. foot. And the Ghostbusters, of course, get blamed. In court, the slime reacting to the judge getting angry causes the release of some ghosts. The, what you say, the Scaleri brothers. The Scaleri brothers. So the Ghostbusters catch the ghosts in exchange for drop charges, but ultimately it is the slime that is possessing things negatively, and the slime makes its way, it either originates or makes its way to the museum where Dana works. There is a evil painting of Vigo the Carpathian. Rodrigo. Who... He is, uh, he wants to leave the painting and be reborn into the body of a baby. And there just so happens to be a baby in this movie without a father. Using the slime to animate the actual Statue of Liberty, the Ghostbusters managed to neutralize the threat. In a roundabout way, the plot of Ghostbusters 2. Now, the characters are the same. We had everybody return, which is great. You don't always see that. With the exception of we added... Peter McNichol as Janos Poha. Janos. Janos is great. Kurt Fuller as Jack Hardermeyer. Who's the new dick in this one? Yeah. And then the mayor returns and Vigo is played by two different people. One for the body. Max von Sydow is the voice. He was the German terrorist in Die Hard. Another Die Hard guy here in this movie. So, Jim, why don't you go ahead and start with your favorite scene from Ghostbusters 2? Okay, my favorite scene. Do you want me to also tell about what what happened in 1989? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, we talked about it in The Wizard, but if you want to. Oh, that's right. But that's if you right. want to, you Duh. can remind them. Well, I can say the number one song for June 1989 is I'll Be Loving You Forever by New Kids on the Block. Ugh. And just like Ghostbusters 1, the number one movie the week before was Star Trek V. The Final Frontier, and I'm surprised it didn't sink an entire franchise. That's the God (laughs) movie one, coming after the whale one. What a hunk of shit that movie was. Ghostbusters 2 had a $40 million budget, and it made only $215 million at the box office. I like how I say only, but this was critically panned. A lot of critics were saying they're just trying to do the same thing again five years later. That happens so often in sequels. I just talked about The Hangover in the pool check, and it's like, the Hangover 2 is The Hangover 1, just with a different setting. See, there never should have been a Hangover 2 or a Hangover, especially I, not a Hangover ha- 3. No, Hangover 2 is pretty good, but again, it is the first movie Same formula, in a new place. setting, different place. And But then Hangover 3 is, see, but that's what happens when you change something. So whether it be Star Wars, whatever sequels, you know, these movies, if you make it too much like the first one, people complain that it's nothing new. If you make it too differently, then it's... Well, you ruined it. You ruined the franchise. Okay, so (laughs) right off the bat is a scene, and I've seen Ghostbusters 2 millions of times, how I never acknowledged or paid attention to the scene. So before the Scaleri brothers make an appearance in the courtroom, and Lewis is just, he's a de facto attorney. He's a tax lawyer, but he's, you know, looking after the Ghostbusters because once again, they get shit on and get thrown in jail. Go figure. The judge is just Harris Eulen, great actor, 
great hard-nosed actor. However, always throws me off. It's just Ray, Egon, and Peter. There's no Winston in well, this trial. I'll talk about my first scene, but basically Winston has fucked off because oh, he, he got the hell out because he's he's mad. But we'll talk about that in a second. Lewis proceeds to say, here's your casual racism point throughout this whole franchise. Out of nowhere, he tells the judge. OK, so the black guy was a big problem for everybody. OK. Hey, the black guy was a problem for everybody, okay? Yeah. The black guy. I don't know who wrote that line, <laughs> approved it. Fuck? It's nuts. You know his name is Winston. I've I've never seen that. He literally says the black guy wow. was a problem yes. for everybody, all right? Like he thought the the judge was like, Yeah, you're right. That guy was a real fucking problem. So much so he didn't get his ass in trouble. He fucked right off. But yeah. that scene alone. I was upstairs. Me and Kevin looked at each other and went, what the fuck? Well, the the whole court scene is is good because, again, they, they dug a hole through the street to get to the River of Slime, and that's what lands them in court. And then once in court, uh, this they have all their gear, all their... The proton packs. Yeah, the traps. The they have everything. Meters. Yeah, they have them Got all on the table along with a sample of the slime yep. that they retained from the river of slime in the old pneumatic transit system which is abandoned and then we find out that reacts to negative energy yeah so when the judge is screaming at them and basically telling them that he would put them away for life or whatever that's when the ghosts are released and so on so the, the whole courtroom scene is pretty good but it's funny because the ghostbusters are like well tough luck you know there's ghosts released you gotta do something help me don't talk to me. Talk to my attorney. That's me. My guys are still under a judicial estrangement order. That blue thing I got from her. They could be exposing themselves. And you don't want us exposing ourselves. <laughs> You're next, Bubbles. All right, all right. Have you seen the order? We can't do anything. And they basically get uh, Lewis to get them a deal where all charges will be dropped. And he got it. And he got it. So all charges are dropped. They don't get in trouble. But that whole court scene is great. Not just, you know, black guy. Not just that weird black guy. You know, his comment. name was Winston. And you just write in, oh, you know, we had the black guy was a problem for everybody. We know. Okay? Yeah. So the scene I was referring to was. The very beginning of the movie, you see the Ectomobile kind of fire up. You see it on its way, but it looks a little decrepit. It just hurts you. And you see it on its way, and you think it's, you know, the movie's starting. Business as usual with the Ghostbusters. later. On the way to bust some ghosts, smash some ghosts, break some ghosts. I was going to say, get it right. Uh, and when they arrive... You know, the this woman opens a door and says, right in here, you know, and you think they're going to go in after a ghost. How many of them are there? Fourteen. They're in here. I hope you can handle it. It's been like a nightmare. How big are they? Hmm? Four feet. says you guys are full of crap. Jason. Well, some gosh. people have trouble believing in the paranormal. No, he just says you guys are full of crap and that's why you went out of business. 
But no, now that the Ghostbusters are out of business, they are actually performing at children's birthday parties. They turn on the Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters theme. Oh, it hurts so bad. And it's Ray and Winston. They yeah, no, the black guy. Yes, they dance for these kids. And as they're dancing, the kids are like, we want He-Man. They dance along for a second. And then it's like, who are you going to call He-Man, He-Man, He-Man? I feel like I was over He-Man by the time 89 came around. I I never really got into He-Man. I, I did, but what, I, like I don't know. He-Man? Yeah, I don't know if I, I mean, was... After you got to figure the crux of He-Man was 84 through 87 and the movie killed it. Yeah, the movie, oh. despite the uh, fantastic performance of Skeletor. Uh, Franklin Yeah, Frank, Franklin Jell Skeletor. Despite that, yeah, that movie kind of wrecked it. My dad thinks you guys are full of crap. Yet the kid clapped along when he started singing it. Yeah, so as they leave the birthday party, uh, you know, Ray kind of likes it. He's got his party hat on. He's giving Winston the cut of the money. You know, it seems like they stayed and had some cake, that sort of thing. And Winston's basically like, No more parties. Here's your share. Look, I'm tired of taking abuse from overprivileged nine-year-olds. I know, Z, but we can't quit now. The holidays are coming up. It's our best season. Ray, man, face it. Ghostbusters doesn't exist. You're from now, those kids won't even remember who we are. Ungrateful little yuppie larva. After all we did for this city. Yeah. Conjured up a hundred foot marshmallow man through the top three floors off an uptown high rise, ended up getting sued by every state, county, and city agency in New York. Yeah, but what a ride. The fuck are we doing? Why are we doing this? And then Ray says why they're doing that. Yeah. Like what happened? Yeah, yeah, that's where you get the exposition explaining that they got sued and everything. But so they're no longer Ghostbusters. They're literally performing at a party, but that's kind of Winston saying. I'm done with this, you know, for now. If, unless we're going to be real Ghostbusters, I'm done. We also said that, actually, you said it. You brought it up. The Ghostbusters theme song does exist in that universe. Yeah. It's which all, makes perfect yeah, sense it's, after I mean, they saved the city. Yeah, they saved the city. They were almost celebrities. Somebody wrote a song for them, and they had it as a theme song. I'm trying to think. Oh, 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 God, God, God. The first introduction of Janos. Well, then how are you thing? How's this Bonington coming? It's coming along fine. This mixture you gave me is working really well. Yes, well, I make pretty good cocktails, don't I? <laughs> yes, you're doing a really quite good work there. Thank you. I think it won't be long before uh, you can uh, assist me in the more important restoration. Well, thank you, Dr. Poha. Um, uh, Janosch. Janosch. Um, I've enjoyed working here, but now that my baby's a little older, I'm going to try to go back to the orchestra. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, that you will not, not be not here. Well, uh, could I say goodbye, you know, uh, maybe bring you to a brunch today? <laughs> well, I can't today. I have an appointment. In fact, I better go. I don't understand this. You know, every day I say, well, do you, can you do something? You say, no, I can't do something. You know, what do, do I have a bad breath or something? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> All right. Well, i give you a rain check. How can you not love Peter McNichol's yeah, character? Peter McNichol gives like a legit great performance in this movie. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Peter McNichol's acting, he's just he's an American dude. He does he's not an Englishman. He puts on this accent that is... It's funny, because one, at one point in the movie, they ask, where are you from? The Upper West Side? Yeah. He doesn't say what country he's from, which I'm assuming Janos 
Poha. I'm thinking probably Poland. Yeah. You know, Eastern. You know, I'm thinking like Yugoslavia. Yeah, Croatia like something. But you meet him and like Peter always calls him Johnny. They just seem to just make fun of the guy, dismiss him. Peter McNichol is so amazing in this role because in this one, I believe there's very few standouts. Peter McNichol is a slam dunk. And oh, you yeah. You meet him at the first time at the museum. He's just that annoying. Oh, no, no, please go there. No, don't go. And then he's creepy around Dana. Like, he is cringeworthy. Yeah. Like, almost very sexual predatory. Like, when he goes to Dana's apartment after the blackout. Yes. Very creepy, dude. But he yeah. plays such a multifaceted character. I love McNichol. Yeah, this. he's good. My next favorite scene is actually when Winston returns, because they got some real ghost-breaking shit to do, the ghost train. I think that was the old New York Central, city of Albany. Derailed in 1920, killed hundreds of people. Did you catch the number on the locomotive? Sorry, I missed it. So they go down to investigate the slime that is beneath the city in the transit tunnel. It, this is a pretty scary scene because for a second, you know, you hear the voice say, Winston, and then they like see all these heads on spikes. Severed heads, they're delusional. Severed heads on spikes, and then they go away real quickly. But then they hear a train coming and they dismiss it as like, oh, it's above us. But then a ghost train like runs through Winston. Ray ducks out. Egon ducks out. They just leave fucking Winston. Yeah. Stand there. So Winston has to stand there while the entire ghost train goes through him. And then Egon says something like, that must be the the train that the old New York yeah. derailed in 1905. And did you kill, catch a number? Yeah. Did you catch a number? And Winston's like. No, I I missed it. I like that scene. It's the yeah. more and more we talk about it. Are these two movies kind of like inconspicuously racist yeah. towards Winston? Right, Jesus. But you know, but you wonder if if Eddie Murphy would have been in that. Oh role. no, there's no way. No, he wouldn't have. He probably would have been top billed by the second. He wouldn't have come back for the second one. Okay, so I have another one. Well, let me say quickly, after the ghost train scene, they're so stoked about what they found under the city that they go into the restaurant where Peter is having a date. Boys, boys, you're scaring the straights, okay? Is there any way we can do this tomorrow? No, no, this won't wait until tomorrow. Venkman is hot and it's ready to pop. Yeah, it, it, it's all over the city, Pete. Under it, actually. Oh, rivers of this stuff. Yes, and yeah. it's all flowing right to the museum. Yeah, to the museum! Right. Sorry. God, you mean my museum? I was, I was going to tell you between the dessert and the cheese course. There they are. You can never go back there again. You're going to have to find a new job. Oh, they're loaded with, with Dana, and they're they're flinging slime on guests. <laughs> they get arrested again, and for some reason, Peter gets arrested despite just being there to have dinner with Dana. My biggest thing that always pisses me off about that, all they did to save millions of people, and somehow within five years, their quacks, their garbage, 
ignore them. They're crazy. I mean, they get committed by fucking Kurt Fuller's character. It just pisses well, me and off. It, it's weird because the, the new Ghostbusters movie that's coming out from Jason Reitman, which I think has been delayed now to 2021 or 2022, as if everyone has forgot what the Ghostbusters have done. Exactly. And, and from what the little we have read about the new movie, it seems to disregard the second movie, period. Yeah. Because there's just a lot of references. Like, you saw that teaser. You see they find the Ecto-1 in Oklahoma. So my next scene is, once again, we're going to go to the very beginning of this. Not the very beginning, but near the beginning of the movie. So Peter Venkman is all of a sudden, you know, he's not a Ghostbuster. So he has, it looks like a public access TV show called World of the Psychic. They have these two people on. These people are quacks. So he turns over to the girl with the Jennifer Tilly voice. Elaine, now you had another date in mind. According to my source, the end of the world will be on February 14th in the year 2016. Valentine's Day. Bummer. Where'd you get your date, Elaine? I received this information from an alien. As I told my husband, it was in the Paramus Holiday Inn. I was having a drink at the bar alone, and this alien approached me. He started talking to me. He bought me a drink, and then I think he must have used some kind of a ray or a mind control device because he forced me to follow him to his room. And that's where he told me about the end of the world. So your alien had a room at the Holiday Inn, Paramus. It might have been a room on the spacecraft made up to look like a room at the Holiday Inn. Now, I remember four years ago, this meme was all over the place when she announced it. So he's like, Valentine's Day, bummer. But she says her contact is an alien who she met at the Holiday Inn Paramus. <laughs> and just the look on Venkman's face, like he breaks the fourth wall, looks dead into the camera. And she's like, it might have been a spaceship that was made to look like the Holiday Inn in Paramus. Yeah, it's <laughs> Bill Murray is so perfect in this scene. Fantastic. He's a condescending shithead. Because he knows these people are crazy. But, and then it's the weird at the end of the episode. He goes, next week, hairless cats. Weird. Weird. And then he points his head because he wants you to think what he's saying. Yeah. So he goes with the ham of it all. and yeah. yeah, he's funny. I mean, in the first one, in the first movie, not to go back too far, there's the scene where he's having two students try and guess what card he's holding. It's a great scene. And he's basically just hitting on the girl that's there. And he keeps zapping this dude. And he's like, I'm just trying to test the effects of what'll happen. Wasn't it five bucks or ten yeah, bucks? Yeah, it's five or bucks. Like and he goes... So cheap. And he goes, uh, you can have your five bucks. And he goes, I think the effect is that it's pissing me off. <laughs> but uh, the guy actually gets it right and he still shocks him. Yeah. But so it's 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 the same shtick. I mean, that's that's the thing, and we'll talk about this a little bit. But in, in one and two, same kind of tone, same shtick. I mean, the second one's like probably funnier and more of a comedy, but we'll talk about all of that. Something that is that I didn't talk about with the plot of the the second one is so there's this river of slime. Again, whether the slime originated at the museum or originated elsewhere and led to the museum, you know, it's a chicken and the egg. The slime is being negatively charged, which is causing it to possess things. But the Ghostbusters learn that you can also positively charge the slime. So the movie comes with a message where it's like, because everyone in New York is so negative, that's causing the slime to get worse and worse and worse. 
and it's going to blow, you know, it's, it's going to explode and, and it's going to cause mayhem in the city. But again, the Ghostbusters find out you can also positively charge that slime. So in order, so the slime covers the museum where Vigo's at. He's essentially got an impenetrable shell that they can't get through with their proton packs. So they got to find another way in. So earlier in the movie, we find out that the slime really likes Jackie Wilson. It responds to music, so we've been doing some experimentation, playing easy listening, middle of the road type stuff. You know, Paul Young, Dust in the Wind, that works okay. Works Dig for this. me. Loves Jackie Wilson. Do you guys do this at night when I'm not here? Oh, I get it. It sings. It sounds exactly like Jackie. That's fantastic. Just watch. Does it do Emmy Lou Harris? Loves Jackie. So they put some slime in a toaster. They tried other songs, but this was the best. Yeah, one. really likes uh, the Jackie Wilson. So they put it in the toaster. It pops all over the place. So later in the movie, uh, they cover the Statue of Liberty with slime and they play Jackie Wilson in the Statue of Liberty. Man, I can't wait to see people's faces when we come on shore. This should really get the city's positive energy flowing. Al Mickey, keep kicking, Libby. You make this work, we'll pop for a weekend in Vegas with a Jolly Green Giant. Leaves her platform and begins to walk through the harbor using an NES Advantage controller. Yes, exactly. And they walk over some cop cars. They do some this and that. They likely destroy the Statue of Liberty. And another point you made during the movie. So they break the window out of the top of the museum, and they Lady Liberty's torch has actually caught fire, so the fire would then likely be burning down the museum. I mean, you would think logically. But it's it's funny. It's funny to watch the Statue of Liberty leave her platform, walk, and they use her as a vehicle to get into the museum to fight Vigo. And then at the end of the credits... When they're showing film footage, they are given the key to the city and what appears to be the rechristening of the new Statue of Liberty because the Statue of Liberty was destroyed, yeah. virtually destroyed. So, yeah, that made no sense to me. Okay, you got any other scenes you want to talk about? Uh, real quickly, we get uh, two quick Cheech Marin reveals. Yeah. The Titanic coming ashore. Well, better late than never. And then him seeing Lady Liberty walk. Well, when the Titanic water. comes ashore, hey, better late. Than yeah, never. better late than never. Such a great line. I love Cheech Marin. I, I like Cheech and Chong. It would have been cool if it were Cheech and Chong. Oh, that would have been. Great. But yeah, definitely good cameos there and good use of cameos. Okay, so I think it's getting kind of hot. Maybe we should get out. Of, no, that didn't make any sense. I was going to say <laughs> we should get in the pool, but we uh, we need to get out of the pool. We need a snack break to have our second pool check. Pool check. Okay, pool check two. Again, we covered music videos for 1984, but we've done that already for 1989 when we talked about The Wizard. So we're going to talk about our favorite TV shows of 1989. And there's no parameters. It's just what shows were on TV in 1989. I, I will say the a parameter we talked about a little bit is some of these shows that debuted in 1989 didn't have like a body of work. Yeah. So it's like... We are restricted to the the season or the amount of seasons up to that point. Yes. So you can't take a show that debuted in 1989 and ran through 1996, 
you're stuck with just the season. What's going on in 89? Yes. My number five favorite TV show, which debuted in 1989, Cops. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. How long that was on the air for? It's finally done. This finally season, done. they finally canned it. Cops was like just a rad show. It's revolutionary. It follows the men and women of law enforcement. And it made you feel better about your own life. It did. Because like, I'm not just that's why you shit. watch Cops, because you saw yeah. some really, really bizarre. The best thing about Cops is all the excuses that the criminals use. It's like, why? I was dead at the time yeah like why why are you here oh i just i i went my brother and i took a spaceship and my brother had a taco mountain oh, my i was a ghostbuster yeah exactly <laughs> so they always have some excuse as to why they were holding crack or whatever it was so cops unfortunately sad to see it go but it tells you it's been running for 31 years yeah and it's, you know, they they filmed it all over the world and all these different cities. And it's like same shit, different day, but good show. I liked it. So my number five television show of 1989, we always do our homage to our greatest music videos off MTV. This is a game show that was on MTV that I watched all the time. I played it on my Commodore 64. It's MTV's Remote Control. Yeah. Such a great, like, different, weird TV show. Check it out on YouTube. There's a lot up on YouTube to watch. It was hosted by Ken Ober. At one point, you had uh, Colin Quinn was on the show. Adam Sandler got his break on the show before Saturday Night Live. It was, they basically used the TV with nine channels, and it would be pop culture questions. You'd have a guy come out and sing a song, and you'd have to guess what he's saying or say the next line. It was a plethora of things. Sometimes you'd hit a channel, and you'd lose 50 points. You would get a snack break in the middle, and they would just drop random food from the ceiling of the studio, and it would just dump on you. The winner won a 1989 Mitsubishi Mirage. Wow. Check out that vehicle, wow. because that is a hunk of garbage. When MTV started converting away from music videos, this was this. They had, you know, Idiot Savant singled out, Sandblast. This one always stuck out to me. It was great for Nintendo 64. I'm not Nintendo 64. My Commodore 64. MTV remote control. Single out five. was awesome. It, I love it with Jenny McCarthy. So I mean. weird. It was like 50 people would show up to date each of these people and they just would like instantaneously like go through a line and just like eliminate them. It's it was crazy. a perfect 90s thought through like dating game. Type yeah. Thing. Okay. My number four is something we saw a lot at this time before this time after this time. I picked Beetlejuice the animated series. Very good. So I, I really loved Beetlejuice the animated series. I can remember it would be on re runs when I'd get home from school or in the summer it'd be on Saturday mornings but the thing about Beetlejuice the animated series is it ultimately had nothing to do with the movie so in the movie obviously Beetlejuice like Lydia hates Beetlejuice and wants him you know but in the, the animated series they're best friends and they can just like go back and forth between the neither world and it's just like all kinds of wacky stuff but stylistically it was cool but they did this in the 80s where it's like there was an alf animated series like anything that was, there was a police academy yeah, animated there, series. yes there's police academy animated series there's robocop Al robocop i mean you name it like they had anything in the 80s that was it like what was the the sports stars one with gretzky jordan oh pro stars pro stars weird cartoons and beautiful Beetlejuice, the animated series, was just like, well, Beetlejuice was popular, even though it was an adult movie. Let's just make a cartoon for kids. That was my number four. All right. My number four is a show before he did How I Forget Your Mom. He was a kid doctor. Doogie Howser, MD. How I Forget Your Mom? What was it? So I met... Or, How I Met Your Mother. I Met Your Mother. <laughs> <laughs> it shows you I've never watched How I Forgot show. Your Mom. <laughs> 
It's been a long day, folks. This was, uh, in a weird way, it made you think, hey, I can aspire to be a doctor in actuality. That sure as hell isn't happening. Theme song always stuck out to me. Yeah. A lot of good... Uh, His friend. Yeah, who was the boner equivalent yeah. of boners to bone. He, they, all their friends climbed through their second story window. That yeah. just seemed to be the thing back then. He'd type on the computer at the end. Nobody ever took him seriously. Yeah, at the end, he always did like a, a diary, day journal, a yeah. diary. Yep. Nobody took him seriously, but that theme song is just yeah, so I iconic. can hear that's as soon as you said do Yowser, I just heard it in my head dun, 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 dun. Yep. but yeah you hear it in the background so that's Doogie Hauser was my pick there my number three is one of my favorite shows of all time except it only this was the first season and it was Quantum Leap oh. Dr. Sam Beckett has to leap through time hoping that one of the leaps will be the return home Every first, uh, every episode, you know, he would have to stay. He would look in the mirror and you'd find out who he was. He was a woman. He was a man. He was a celebrity. He was somebody in a situation. And before he could leap out, he had to do the right thing. It, it was great. I love Quantum Leap. It, it holds up. I watched it a while back again. Not crazy about the ending, but that didn't happen in 89. But uh, yeah, it's there was talks that it was going to come back and that he that his daughter would start leaping to look for her dad. I thought that show was so ahead of its time. It was. It's Back great. It was amazing. Yeah. And it, it's like, it was like a Forrest Gump sort of way. They would go over historical moments and Sam, you know, Dr. Sam Beckett, Scott Bakula would be inside of these. And he was guided by Al. Yes. And then Al was Ziggy. overseen by Ziggy. Who yeah. You never saw Ziggy. No, you never, I think you do see Ziggy at the I end. Think, was it the finale? You yeah. might see Ziggy. Yeah. yeah. Finale's not great. Yeah. Sam wanted to leap home, but in 89, it was just one season. So I'm sure. When we do 1990, I'm going to talk about <laughs> Quantum Leap. 1991, I'm going to talk about Quantum Leap and so on. My number three is also one of my favorite shows of all time, American Gladiators. Yeah. We watched a first season episode. They have a whole channel on Pluto TV. Check it out. The very first season of American Gladiators literally looked like you could build it in your backyard if you went to Home Depot it for 25 like bucks. It was like exposed, raw, unfinished wood very covered cheap. with carpets. It wasn't, it was nuts. And then it grew to something like huge. Like yeah. Millions were put into it. Yes. But when you look at, say, the first season, everybody knows Malibu. Malibu took that big hit on the human cannonball. He was, they were more tasty waves. They were more like some of them are very character based people. Like you had people like Zap, you know, the, you know, the large female, you had ice, you had laser, you had Gemini, you had nitro. And then you had some of these ones, like we talked earlier, Lace. Was Lace supposed to be like the hoe American she was a, Gladiator? was a sex worker, I think. Nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with it. But, but she, yeah, she wasn't big and muscular, and her name was Lace, and it was just... you. Some of these events that were awesome. The Eliminator, of course. Human Cannonball. The Wall. Powerball. Skytrack. Yep. Uh, sling, human Slingshot. You had some of the coolest stuff in American Gladiators. The video games were not great for American Gladiators, which blow my mind, especially the NES game, which I, is pure garbage. I kind of like those games. I like the Genesis one. You can get one. to the wall, and then you can't get any further. No, you can't. You can climb up two points, and then Nitro yanks your ass down. Yeah. Okay, top of your head. Who would you say your favorite American Gladiator was of all time? Probably Malibu. Okay, this is going to sound weird to you because when we did Total Recall, I said the guy Tony sounded like Sting. I liked Laser because I thought he was a muscular version of Sting. Yeah. So laser was always my dude. Yeah. Yeah. Laser did look quite a bit like, like Sting. I had the uh, American Gladiators trading cards that had the, yes, the great, the great puns like let's do launch. 
<laughs> and stuff. Uh, I have my American Gladiators because toys. Because like cartoons in the 80s where everything got a cartoon, in the 80s, everything also got trading cards. For example, Desert Storm. Yes. Didn't you get your General Norman Schwarzkopf? You got my Schwarzkopf, my Colin Powell card, my... Fuck that Jordan rookie. I got that Colin Powell rookie yeah, card. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the, the desert camo. I'll trade you my Scud missile for your Patriot. <laughs> it's so ridiculous that it's those so dumb. existed. But okay, my number two, also one of my favorite shows of all time. And when it got put into syndication, they'd air it before I went to school. And in high school and like middle school, I was probably almost late every day because I wanted to finish the episode I was watching before I could leave. Saved by the Bell. But Saved by the Bell debuted technically in 89. Good Morning Miss Bliss. Yeah, there was Good Morning Miss Bliss, which predated it. They switched some characters. Saved by the Bell, they went to high school. Season one's pretty good, but um, yeah, great show. If you don't know Saved by the Bell, I mean, go on Hulu and watch the whole thing. It's very dated. Yeah. Very dated. It is. Zach had the ability to manipulate time. Zach's piece of shit. If you think about it, he's a real... Slater's a piece of shit. Last night, actually, I could not sleep. And for some reason, this wasn't in season one. This was a a later episode. Again, these kids mostly were pieces of shit. In one episode, they'd be doing like an anti-drug PSA. Johnny, oh, what was his name? I don't know. It was like, it was something. But yeah, in one episode, they'd be doing an anti-drug PSA. What I was thinking about specifically last night when I could not sleep is there is an episode where they're using fake IDs to get into a nightclub. And they end up catching Kelly's college boyfriend at the time, Jeff, who... Is Jeff. a manager at the Max, and isn't Jeff cheating on Kelly? They catch him. Yep. But that's not the part I was thinking of. The part I was thinking of... Johnny Dakota. Johnny Dakota. There you go. So when they're trying to get in using their fake IDs, they put body doubles. So if Zach's mom finds them, there's like body doubles under their sleeping bags or whatever. They're trying to get into this nightclub. They show their fake IDs. When Slater hands his fake ID to the bouncer, his tactic is, hey, man, nice scar. (laughs) And the guy goes, oh, yeah, my old lady gave me that. It's like, why is that cool? Your old lady slashed you in the face. Why is that cool? And then Slater does like the, the finger snap, like point, like the, you know, finger gun. It's pretty ridiculous. There are other standout episodes. The Zack Attack yeah. episodes. Friends Forever. I love yeah, that song. Yes. The Malibu Sands Summer Edition. I like uh, when Zack finds out he's Native American. Which is, once again, really racist. Real, very, very racist. He is running Zack. Yeah. And he gets visited by his Native American friend who dies. There are some, I mean, the Jesse Spano. Oh, I'm the, so excited. I'm speed. so scared where she's on speed. They're in a girl group. And they have to practice. I also remember the one where they were working in a mall and Zach came across the girl who he started becoming real enamored yes. with and found out they were homeless. Yes. And he and they all helped band she together. She gets fired. Yeah. Because the owner. The they store live in a owner, van. Yeah. The store owner thinks that. She's stealing. She's stealing. And then Zach like, lets them live with him, which is weird because Zach's a hornball piece of shit. <laughs> and you're just going to let your teenage daughter like live with. He's like, I'll get a job. That's the thing about Saved by the Bell. This is not a Saved by the Bell podcast, (laughs) but that's the thing about Saved by the Bell is like there are so many characters that come into our lives for one episode that we never see again. The girl on the wrestling team. Yeah. Oh, God, that's right. Never see her again. Like when the heavy girl wins the date auction and Zach 
tries to get out of the real date. piece of shit. Yeah, tries to get out of the date and ends up dancing with her. Never see her again. Nope. Like all like Screech's cousin, who Zach goes on a date with or whatever. Never see her again. How much you wonder they have like a tab charge at the max? They have to. There's no way they pay I for mean, one damn they thing. They live in like where are they? Malibu, like, Los Angeles, like yeah, so, California. So like they're rich. Their parents are giving them like Zach had a cell phone. That's true. Uh, he was way ahead of his time. He had that big ass bag okay, phone. We should probably. We're going really into what number are we? I'm on my number two. Yeah, you're on your number. Did, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers was great. Now we are into the Kirstie Alley phase. Just found out that Sam Malone wears a wig. Not Sam Malone specifically. Which blows my mind that you did not know I Ted didn't Danson know that. was wearing a tube. I did not know Ted Danson wore It was an beef. excellent. That, that's the thing. That was an excellent tube. William Shatner's toupees, horrible. The Danson, excellent tube. Now, I got into Cheers around this time, so I never watched the Sam and Diane years. I've gone recently, I've gone back and watched Sam and Diane years. Excellent. But I had such a crush on Kirstie Alley, her crazy Scientology ass. There was one episode that always stuck out to me that I, I laughed so hard. Doesn't take place in 89, it takes later, takes later on, where they have to, she has to watch her boss's dog called Cochise. That fucking episode is so phenomenal. See, I'm, I'm, I, I like Sam and Diane years better. I don't think Kirstie Alley could hold a flame to her. But it went longer with yeah. Kirstie Alley. Yep. So go figure. But this started in 82, went to 93. Still one of the best last episodes in television history. They just walked out of the book. He turned the lights off. People come to the door and he's like, sorry, we're closed. And they walked off the set. Yep. Excellent. Uh, it's no, you got a spinoff, Frasier. Yes. Toss salad and scrambled eggs. Yeah. And then Cobb salad and scrambled eggs. Oh God. I've been craving a Cobb salad all uh, day long. So it did get a spinoff. It's no David the Gnome final episode, which I, I might've brought up on the podcast. You before. have. He just fucking tells the kid, I have to go die now. And the kid's like, what? And he's like, yeah, we elves, like we reach, are we gnomes? We reach a certain age. We just go off in the woods and fucking die. And I don't know. He probably blows his head off with a gnome shotgun. It's a behind the set gnome shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> David the gnome just is like, I got to fucking die now. I'm sorry, kid. And you're like, I'm seven. What am I watching? This you is terrible. Bitch. So um, my number one, probably a technicality, probably cheating, probably doesn't count as a TV show. It's USA Up All Night. Hi, I'm Rhonda Shear. I'm your new USA Up All Night girl. And I use the term loosely. Oh, that's a Rhonda Shear. Yeah, USA Up All Night, hosted by Rhonda Shear. She would essentially host a movie, show you the movie at each commercial interlude. She would host a piece and, you know, tell you this is probably where my love of bad movies come from. If you know anything about me, if you don't, I will tell you, I love bad movies. Like, oh, you crave I them. love them. I mean, I am like. You know, so inspired by just bad cinema, you know, The Room or Miami Connection or, you know, a lot of these 80s action movies, Hard Ticket to Hawaii, these movies like this. I'm obsessed. My first exposure to a lot of them was probably USA Up All Night. I remember being a kid, like watching stuff I shouldn't Up be watching, night. talking about it last night. And I think that the reason that Rhonda Shear probably had to host this and probably had to, you know, give you pieces of information. These movies probably had to be so heavily edited in order to air which made him great on USA, which made him great to see an edited version of a ridiculous movie. So my number one USA up all night. Okay. My number one was going to be quantum leap, but you talked about it. So I'm going to do an audible here. Debuted in 1989 and went on to become a phenomenon. Baywatch. Yeah. I oh my Baywatch. God. 
for the longest time, I thought the theme song was sung by David Hasselhoff. Yeah. It was not. But it brought in the amazing slow motion opening yes. credit scenes. Yes. Like you see Pamela Anderson, you're like, oh my that, god. That show is not unlike those bad movies I liked. It's uh, you excellent. know, it's so strange. And have you seen a uh, clip going around Twitter, been viral in the last couple days, where Mike Piazza does a cameo on a Baywatch episode. He's in his... Uh, was it Mets? He only played for the Mets or he played for the Dodgers? He played for the Dodgers. That'd okay. be the Dodgers. He's in his... Do- yeah, that makes sense. He's in his Dodgers shit. He's on the beach wearing his Dodger stuff and he's swinging a bat. And Pamela Anderson as CJ Parker yes. comes over and says like, hey, bozo, like, what are you doing? And he's like, I got to practice my swing. All of his audio sounds really weird. Like it's ADR. <laughs> it's so bad. And as CJ is talking to Mike Piazza, someone in very shallow water is drowning. She runs over and saves them. Mike Piazza comes. Yeah. He wears his uniform in and stuff. And she's like, I know the water's not deep, but it's a very powerful riptide. And they bring her back to shore, and Mike Piazza's there. It's just, that's like a small snippet of what that show was. The thing about Baywatch, it always amazed me. You had David Hasselhoff. You had David Charvet. Is that the Hobie guy? No, You had Hobie. Yeah. That was that was Mitch's son, Hobie. Okay, who is the Jeremy guy? Jeremy Jackson. Mitch with the mustache? Mitch. No, Mitch is, Mitch is David Hasselhoff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. His son was Hobie. Yeah. But the guy that all, well, you also had, oh, in later seasons, you had Donna Dierico and Yasmin Bleeth. But the one guy that always stuck out to me was the guy who played Newman. Yeah. He was the older guy, but what you find out, he was an actual L.A. County lifeguard. Yeah, that's awesome. And he was the advisor to the show. So they just rode him into the show because they wanted to make sure they were doing perfect yeah. life-saving good, techniques. Good. Which I love the fact that they actually learned to be lifeguards I mean, in this. Stick around to, or like come there to look at some bouncy slow-motion tits. Oh, my God. And it's... learn how to save a life for real. As we both, you know, we named this podcast after a coming-of-age scene from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. This is another coming of age. Yeah, type. this this was oh. on just television. This yeah. wasn't, and they did a movie of Baywatch, which with, is a schlock movie. But you know what? Not bad. No, the it, Rock and they did a really good job casting the women for the movie. I agree. You know, and then they had The Rock. They had Zac Efron. It's a hammy movie. It was jacked out hammy. of his mind in oh, this movie. God. He's yoked. One uh, show we didn't talk about: uh, Full House, Family Matters. But one show we didn't talk about that might have been, you know, was probably the consensus best show at the time: A Different World. No. <laughs> sort of. Which was an offshoot. But yes, is the Cosby show. Yeah. But the Cosby uh. show is kind of like Voldemort now. It's like you can't touch you it. You can't touch it. And you, we all grew up watching it. It's it, you know, and that example is maybe worse than any other. It's like, you know, I, I talk about like R. Kelly. R. Kelly, total degenerate scumbag, piece of shit. But it's like his music. Michael Jackson, you know, whatever you believe about him. Are you okay listening to his music? Whatever. But like Cosby show is like, nope, can't touch it. Done. And he was, Ameri- he was America's he dad. Was. He was America's this, dad. This, this was the number one TV show as in ratings for like three to four years yeah. straight. I, this was the Thursday night, 8 p.m. NBC yeah. time I can slot. remember watching the finale of Cosby show yeah. live where they kind of walked on the set and, you know, waved the crowd. Great finale. My favorite, I'll never forget, my favorite episode of the Cosby show was when they find Vanessa getting drunk. I thought you were going to say something about Alf. Alf. No, when when Alf Alf debuted on the Cosby show. Alf was a spinoff of Cosby. (laughs) It wasn't a different world. It was Alf. Hey, this is Gordon Shumway. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. But yeah, then but a different world was an offshoot of the yeah. show, which was excellent. Cliff Hoxtable, meet Gordon Shumway. Oh, but you 
then you read into the shit like what he was doing after he would record tape a show. It's you know, like, and, and sadly, his his wife from the show. Felicia Rashad still defending him and stuff. It's it's very but yeah, Cosby Show is probably the number one show but of you, that era. But you just you can't. I wasn't gonna pick it. I'm not gonna do it either. Okay, so with that said, we will we are getting hot. Let's get back in the pool. Everybody, back in the pool. For the deep end, we're going to have a segment which we're going to call the concession stand. Attention swimmers, join us poolside, grab a hot dog, kick back. It's time for the concession stand. Now, the concession stand will be deep and exclusive segment where we will ask questions about the two movies as a whole. What changed between the movies? Which things does each movie do better? And so on. So what would you say before we start delving into this, Kevin, what would you suggest to be your concession stand snack what's your go-to Ooh, i you know we go to the ymca and they have a concession stand and a hot dog is like the ultimate summer sort of thing Mm -hmm. you get a hot dog but like i like like chicken fingers i like i don't know i mean a pretzel soft pretzel isn't too bad growing up my mom would take me to waddell park in niles and it was almost the staple that I'd have to eat a hot. I would eat like four or five hot yeah. dogs at Waddell Park. This is going to sound really weird. And you people are like, what the hell are you talking about? Something about eating a hot dog with wet chlorine hands that made yeah. the buns soggy. It, yes. Fucking odd. There's, I know. But that's just like a weird thing our brain does, because <laughs> you think about like summer days and like scarfing down some food Kool-Aid. in between play and chugging some Kool-Aid God. with either a couple ice cubes in it or no ice cubes or whatever. These tastes become almost nostalgic memories yeah. because it's, you know, the pairing specifically of grape Kool-Aid and spaghetti, oh. <laughs> like whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. I got my hot dog ready. Okay. So concession stand, Jim's got his hot dog out. Uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, not that hot dog. <laughs> right. Whoa, Jim, which is the better movie? Ghostbusters 1 or Ghostbusters 2? Ghostbusters 1, but close. I think Ghostbusters 2 got a bad rap for basically being a copy-paste of the first one. But I will say in Ghostbusters 2 defense, I found Vigo more frightening than I did Gozer. Yes. By far. We'll talk about that in a minute. Universally, Ghostbusters 1 is seen as the better movie. Ghostbusters 2 is seen as like a knockoff of Ghostbusters 1 that wasn't as good. There's a actual, there's a Harold Ramis quote where he admits that like Ghostbusters 2 sucks. Where he's like, Ghostbusters 1 was so good because it's a movie about friends starting a business. It just so happens to be a business about ghosts and stuff. But it's about friends starting a business. And Ghostbusters 2 got too far away from that. It became about basically selling toys and, you know, keeping the franchise afloat. There is. So I read uh, an article about Ghostbusters on Entrepreneur, which is a magazine. And to a large extent, they they get business wrong. They spend poorly. They rent a dilapidated, abandoned firehouse that is out of their price range. Look how much they paid for the Ecto-1. He paid $4,800 They need everything done to it. Yeah, simply because they like sliding down the fire pole. They buy an ambulance as their primary vehicle, apparently spending more on the logo than they do on the siren. They hire a secretary, even though the phone never rings. And as they admit, they spend the last of their petty cash on Chinese food, 
Soon they have doubts, there are no customers, there are not enough ghosts. Then they get a call, a real call, and business booms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Harold Ramis even thought that Ghostbusters 2 was a dud. I will say that I grew up with more affection for the second movie than the first, probably because, like I said, my age. I was six when Ghostbusters 2 came out. So the argument for 2 being better, and much of this is taken from Screen Rant. I read an article, which is, it's more of a comedy, so they wrote more jokes in the second one. I think they made it more family friendly other than that black guy see that black guy. Oh my God. And uh, (laughs) it can be seen as a holiday movie because it takes place around Christmas. They're wearing Santa hats. It's New Year's. Yep. Uh, Better soundtrack. Better special effects. Better video game. It's a feel good comeback redemption story because it's they're out of business you know they they're working birthday parties but they get their shot to to be the heroes again yeah and they capitalize on they it. capitalize so uh with that said do you think that the and these are some conspiracy theories do you think that the second movie was made to keep the cartoon afloat due to the popularity of things like ninja turtles or even he-man because the script it wasn't so groundbreaking or different from the first one so A lot of people could argue it was just a cash grab. But I mean, why do you think the second one was made five years later? So this is what I think. Not only did you have the real Ghostbusters toy line, which was really cool. You also had the animated show that was on CBS Saturday mornings, which was carrying a lot of steam. The one thing I never understood with how they portrayed Egon in the animated series, he was blonde. Yeah, it was weird. Never made sense. It got a lot more goofier. But I think they saw the writing on the wall when it came to profits and ratings. And they realized, hmm, we could probably recapitalize on this, put out a whole new thing of new toys, new games, and then we could probably from there see what happens and maybe we can make a Ghostbusters 3 into a trilogy. Now, it's interesting that they all returned and they probably did it for the payday. And you always hear that Bill Murray was always the most difficult about it. Well, because... They tried to get Ghostbusters 3 off the ground and just it couldn't, you and know. Bill was dragging his feet. So another conspiracy theory is since the second movie is so close tonally to the first and some of the things are just like you kind of swap out the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man walking through the streets of New York for the Statue of Liberty walking through the streets of New York. You know, you essentially have the same format. You got problems with the mayor. You got problems with the EPA. It's kind of the same, same sort of idea. So there is a fan theory online that I, I kind of dismissed because I thought it was a little ridiculous. And then I started thinking about it and I'm a little bit and I'm like, I like thinking about stuff like this. It's it holds some weight. It's different. So since the, the second movie is so close at the scene at the end of Ghostbusters 1, we they're told throughout the movie, you never cross the streams. You do not do it. You don't cross the streams. So in the, at, at the end of the first movie, in order to defeat Gozer, they cross the streams. We see a zoomed out shot of the building essentially exploding. It basically ionizes. Yes. So did the explosion at the end of Ghostbusters 1 kill them? That's really some food for thought for yeah, you right did there. Did it kill them? And then essentially the second movie is like a form of limbo or purgatory where essentially they have to make the decisions to not repeat their same mistakes from the first movie in order to escape. Because how did they survive that explosion? There's no explanation for that. Yeah. On the top of the very top of the building. I don't. Yeah. Jesus, man. That really makes you think. 
I mean, I don't. Like, I don't believe it. Yeah, no, I think it's I a obviously little... don't. But but that's that's a huge flaw. It's a huge logic. Like, how did they survive that explosion? I think it would have made more. I don't know. I think that would have more, held more weight if there wasn't a sequel. Okay, so that's just a, some food for thought, something to think about. So, better villain: Gozer versus Vigo. Vigo. I got the same. Vigo scared the shit out of me because there was one central villain in the second one. Gozer or the Zool? first one. Yeah, yeah the first it's one. It's kind of a mess. Yeah. yeah, it's a mess because you have the dog. Yeah, the dog. You have Zool or which you know is Vince Clortho. Yeah. The key master Gozer. Yes. This in Ghostbusters 2, you had a centralized yes. main villain. You can't count Janos. He was just a weird. No, yeah. Janos was just a. He was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a symbiont of yes, Vigo. Yes. Vigo is. The painting itself is terrifying, but then when he becomes a floating head over the river of slime, more terrifying. Remember, they even said the thing about Vigo is the only way to virtually kill him is his head has to die. Yeah, and then when he comes out of the painting, he gets then more terrifying. Yeah, because he grew like little where there would be horns. Yes. There's no horns. Yeah, and he's like when he's trying to fight off like the 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 blasts from the proton packs and the singing from outside. The, the positive, the positive energy. He starts to like growl like a lion. It, I mean, for like a kid, that's scary. As that's a kid, what freaked me out the most is when Dana thinks that the painting is staring at her. You see, you know, the expressions like the the lip on the painting move. You see his head pop out of the painting, and then when he first talks to Janos, you see the the river of slime, yeah. and you see his head talk to him. Max von Sydow's voice is fucking frightening. Yeah. And this isn't this guy's voice because this guy's German. Yeah. So which lead up and final battle is better? So you have them melting the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and then crossing the streams to defeat Gozer, or you have them not being able to penetrate the slime, animating the Statue of Liberty. Makes it look like Rick Moranis yes, did it. Entering through the roof, fighting uh, Vigo, and then have Rick Moranis look like he's the hero. So something I will say about both of these battles before you answer is in a way, don't you kind of feel that both are a little anticlimactic because they like just melt stay puffed and then it doesn't take them much to like kill Gozer. You know what puts number one well over the top for me? And of course, it's a little too much. But the second one, what kills it for me? is after they destroy Vigo, the painting somehow turns oh into all of them oh with God. Oscar. Yes. yes. To me, that it this is a non sequitur. It's a non-starter. The first one by far is my pick for final battle. That's, I would say the second one, but it's still. In like, my, how was there, why was there a painting created? Like, yes, how does that just no, show up out of thin right. air? In, yes, exactly. The painting, I, I will say they just kind of like blast into the painting and then Vigo kind of just dissolves. He turns it into a fettuccine. Yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a, both, both battles are a little disappointing. Yeah. How does Dana get a baby? <laughs> well, I mean, so we found out she got married. Yes. To, I'm assuming, will be, this is what I think, the guy in the first movie she's talking to from the yeah, symphony, yes. I'm thinking that's the dad, Timothy Carhart, who, when I was watching this with Kevin again, I'm like, that's Ellis DeWalt from Beverly yeah. Hills Cop 3, the bad guy. I'm assuming that's Oscar's dad. Makes perfect sense. Well, it's, it's like, Venkman hasn't talked to Dana since 
the events of the first minute. Well, they dated or something, and then what? It ended, and then she got married and had a baby. Yeah, and I think he went off to Europe or something yeah. like that. So interesting. I mean, obviously, the baby was a much needed plot device because Vigo needed to enter a body to come back to life, which were portrayed by twin babies. Hank and Will Duchendorf. Wow. I believe that was his name. Hank and Will Duchendorf. The one kid seemed to have hair of a 65-year-old man. Yeah. So I did ask you the question whether you feel... So when Vigo entered this baby, had he been successful in entering... That sounds awful. That's, yeah, it's a horrible... But in... You know, he be, he started possessing this baby. He there wanted we to go. be reborn. So yeah. if Vigo would have been successful in being reborn into this child, would he have known if it's such a like? Would he have known that he was Vigo or like? You know, it's just a weird. I'm assuming like you saw the face transference yeah, slightly weird that's super weird but it looked like it was vigo as a as a baby yeah but like a baby like a baby you don't know anything until you're like four or five like so i'm assuming if they would go the goofy route and vigo would take possession of the child that it would be a sentient smart baby with yeah. max von like Sydow's like voice. boss baby or baby geniuses and then, or look, and then look who's talking vigo with john travolta's voice but then you would have Janos and Dana being the mother and father to yeah, that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is a stretch. So that's a stretch how they um, did that thing. But so that was Vigo's plan. And then I guess he would have grown up to be full size Vigo then. Weird. Anything else that you wanted to talk about in comparison to the first movie, the second movie, anything like that? You got anything you want to discuss? Yeah, real quickly. The Bobby Brown name we couldn't think of. He was credited in the second movie as Bobby. Bearsford Brown, B A R E S F O R D. Don't know why. It's you weird. don't want to get Bobby Brown confused with another Bobby Brown. I mean, yeah. Well, can, there's Millie, only one. Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Good uh, thing she put Millie in front of it. I would have gotten confused. <laughs> this little white girl didn't sing Dolby Cool. What the hell? Um, it's my prerogative. So, what is the legacy of this movie? That's a tough question. Oh. I mean, this movie is again. It was the the definitive '80s comedy. It this was a genre funny. maker. Yeah, this movie. I mean, in merchandise and cartoons, the juggernaut. And they made a what year? Two thousand something female led cast. Uh, twenty sixteen. Yeah, twenty sixteen. Ghostbusters answer the call. The uh, unofficial Ghostbusters three and the Ghostbusters video game. That which is awesome, and I've yeah. been, uh, I would like to to play that yeah, again. Play along. It's uh, it's really good. And then, I mean, it's just everybody. Who are you gonna call? Ghostbuster. Everybody. You, you, they just released new, re-released yes. new toys. Yes, it's the toys. Everybody. Are great. I mean, everybody knows it's synonymous with American culture yes. or the Ghostbusters. Absolutely. Now and imagine if they were the Ghost Breakers. Ghost Breakers or Ghost, Ghost Smashers. Smashers. Or if somehow Dan Aykroyd could have made his original concept. Whereas a march much darker, and that's what I don't understand is the fact that they wanted to go dark, but have Eddie Murphy and and John Belushi. Oh my! Can you like, imagine that? Eddie Murphy and John Belushi, but like a dark, like I, I don't understand. Get back here, motherfucker! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, legacy. I mean, it speaks for itself. It, we don't need to yeah hash out exactly. You know, better song from Ghostbusters. I did a poll oh, on our social media. We got to talk about and this. We. It split right down the middle. It went like literally 50% of the votes were for Bobby Brown, 
and 50% of the votes for were for Ray Parker Jr. I think people get blinded by Ray Parker Jr. being literally the Ghostbusters theme because it is not a better song than Bobby Brown. He ripped off Huey Lewis in the yes. news. That's what loses it for me. Yeah, Bobby it, Brown wrote an original song. Yes. That's in on our own is a it's a better song. Yeah, on our own is a great song, and it can be listened to independently from Ghostbusters, but also apply to Ghostbusters. Now, if Huey Lewis in the News did, I'm not saying Ray Parker Jr. did a bad job. It's an excellent song. It always will be. It's Boston iconic. Makes me feel good. But could you imagine if Huey Lewis in the News did the Ghostbusters song? I it would have been imagine uh, that amazing with a horn section. Yeah, I got really excited when we did the 1984 because for some reason I thought We Are the World was 1984, 85, and when we do 1985, oh. that'll. I mean, I'm gonna give you a spoiler right now. I would imagine I'll probably be both of our number one video. Huey Lewis is the best part of that song. He, I see. It's, it's don't say Dan Aykroyd. No, it's just standing but there. Dan Aykroyd is in it. He's in there, which is so weird because and another thing, Ray Parker jr ghostbusters theme i'm pretty sure the video features chevy chase yeah there's random because i was just reading on that but i'm like just random celebrities show up in the video you imagine if chevy chase would have been in ghostbusters oh my god he would have ruined you imagine chevy chase and bill murray in the same movie doing ghostbusters no yeah legacy call him out jim same answer i'm gonna you can speak for me you know what it is what drink pairs well with this movie it's high C ecto cooler. Yes, it is high C ecto cooler. Don't come at me with other no shit. No other answer. I don't want to hear it. It's high C ecto cooler. Right now, well, they there's another legacy. They re-released ecto cooler, and you sure as hell know they will re-re-release it again when the new Ghostbusters. When they re-released movie it, people were driving like hundreds of miles. And I stuff. was calling people to go, "Hey, is it in at Walmart? Yeah. Is it in at Target?" Yeah. They had the mixture perfectly yes. the same. Yeah, it was uh but it was in cans. I can well, oh yeah, I can it was in cans, regular yeah. aluminum cans like you would get with uh, a yes. Pepsi, better than Coke, mind you. No. But oh yes it is. Go on eBay right now. I dare any of you out there to our loyal listeners of the Pool Scene podcast. Go on eBay right now. Buy one of the big tin can jugs. Of ecto cooler, see yes. what it tastes like. Yep. Go for it. Get it. Drink it warm. Yeah, <laughs> you have to get one of those um, can opener punch things. Yes, that like uh, punched a little triangle yeah. out. Do it and, hardcore. Uh, yeah, that fantastic ecto cooler. I'm sure there's alcoholic drinks. I don't need none of that. I just need put me on the floor in front of a, a TV with some tuna sandwiches. Some Nobody has ever said let's watch Ghostbusters and get shit faced. No, I don't no. need to. Let's just drink some ecto cooler. Yeah, breaking makes me feel good. <laughs> Smash it makes me feel. <laughs> I can smash a ghost. Okay, so Jim, um, that that's pretty much been our first deep end. We hope you enjoyed the format. Give us some some feedback, please, on how we can improve the next deep end. We've had some discussions internally yes. about what we might do for our next deep end. We're starting to shape up season two. It's likely that season two will begin with one of our favorite movies, Just One of the Guys. Excellent movie. The greatest tit scene. like The greatest arguably. set of bosoms. It's, you know, it's because, and I don't want to give too much away because when we're going to, but it's like, it's a daytime tit scene. Because, it's beautiful. Meaning that because they would play this movie at noon. I know, on like TBS. Yeah. On the, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't see the tits on TBS, no. but like on HBO, Cinemax, whatever, they would play this movie at like noon. 
because it's essentially a teen high school comedy. But then there was there was the, the where, bosoms. Where do you get off having tits? <laughs> so um, but that will be our season two premiere here in the yeah, next season couple. Two premiere. We've got I think we've got another crossover episode coming up. We've got yep. some sci-fi in season two. We got a movie that I am excited for Kevin to watch. Yeah, we're gonna do personally. One, I I think coming up at some point I'm we're gonna do one. A movie that Jim's never seen, but in season two, yeah. we're going to do a movie that I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. So that ought to be interesting. That'll be something different. But Jim, why don't you go ahead? Give us the plugs. Tell us where they can find us in order to give us that feedback. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed the very first season. It's crazy. We've been doing this for 10 weeks. We've been at 10 yeah. weeks. We've done this show. I feel good that we're actually doing it. This is excellent. We went from... Sitting upstairs uh, near uh, my front window, sitting in a hot living room, and now I've converted my basement into a smaller studio so we could do this podcast for you. We're going to have new equipment coming up here, folks, so it's going to get even better sound-wise. Thank you for all the shout-outs out there. It's been, it's, a lot of people think it's easy to edit a podcast, but let me tell you, a one-hour podcast for me, it takes roughly three to four hours. It, it takes a lot of work, but thank you, everybody. You know, if you haven't checked out any of the shows, check out all of them. All 10 episodes of season one in preparation for season number two. But how can you get a hold of us? Real simple. You have an idea. You want us to cover a movie. Any possible merch ideas. That's in the pot right now. We're thinking of some stuff for you. Write us at poolscenepodcast at gmail.com. Also, check us out Facebook and Instagram at pool scene podcast and on twitter don't forget about twitter we have one there as well at pool scene pod all right thank you everyone we appreciate you sticking with us for 10 episodes we hope you stick with us for the rest goodbye and if you don't reach out to us i guess we're gonna have to take control <laughs> see you next season everybody control.